Welcome to the Legacy Pod. In episode 13, I spoke to David Duke, founder and CEO of Street Soccer Scotland, an organisation using the power of football to help homeless people. David talked about his own experiences being homeless and the chance encounter to play in a football tournament that ultimately saved his life. David never looked back and started to build a business that helped so many people he was ultimately awarded with an MBE in 2017. It was a real honour to speak to David and find out a bit more about his journey and I hope you enjoy this episode. David Duke, Street Soccer Scotland, welcome to the Legacy Pod. Great to be here, Paul. Hope you're well. All good, mate. All good. Great to see you. Um, David, your story is pretty well known in, uh, in Scotland and in the UK shows, but for anyone that, that might not be aware, can you just quickly talk about what it is you do and um, how it came to be doing what you're doing? Yeah, so I'm the founder of Street Soccer Scotland and Street Soccer London, which is a social enterprise and charity which uses football to create positive change and, and to kind of connect with people who are maybe kind of cut off from society in certain in certain ways. You know, the, the idea came back in 2009, you know, based on my own experience, you know. So when we set up Street Soccer, it was purely about how, how can we use football to, to bring people together. Um, and the reason for that was, as I say, my own experience, you know, I'd kind of, football was a big part of my own life uh, growing up as a kid. And um, but as, as, as a child and kind of getting into a kind of young adult, you know, I'd kind of some challenges, you know, uh, down to, you know, in the household that I grew up, my dad was an alcoholic, um, which meant that I kind of had a kind of duty of care to an element of care to kind of look yeah. after him, which meant that kind of the importance of school and football I had to take a kind of back seat just because, you know, I'd, you know, I didn't have the kind of, the, the guidance or, or leadership to yeah. kind of take things forward, you know, other things kind of um, got in the way of that. And then as a young adult, my, my father passed away um, when I was about 20 and um, it kind of hit me really bad, really affected my mental health and so on. I had to kind of cut myself off from everyone um, and decided to, you know, kind of rather than kind of speak about it and yeah. you know, ask for help and, uh, and kind of share some of the grief that I was going through, I tried to, tried to block it out. So I kind of cut myself off with people and, and you know, my, my behaviour started to change. You know, I was kind of, oh, I wasn't happy and I was going out drinking all the time and, you know, it just my life became chaotic. And as a result, you know, kind of I lost my job, broke up with my girlfriend and then lost my house. Um, and again, you know, rather than reaching out for help and speaking to you know, other members of family and, and try to get support, I tried to kind of do everything myself. Um, and, and I couldn't, you know, I became homeless as, as a young guy, didn't know what to do, didn't know kind of how to cope. Um, and that was my life for almost three years, you know, kind of living in hostels, kind of sometimes on the street. Um, and and, it, and it, was, it was really tough, it was really lonely. Had a massive impact on my kind of self-esteem, kind of self-worth, um, and and about kind of two years into it, I was living in a young person's supposed accommodation, um, and that's when I kind of reconnected with football. There was a, there was a poster advertising a tournament, 
um, which was for the Homeless World Cup, which yep. was taking place back in 2004. I can't believe it was almost 17 years ago. Um, I know, it feels like yesterday. And so there's this poster, you know, and, and football was something that I was, as I say, really passionate about, played it at a kind of fairly decent level, you yeah. know, uh, throughout school and kind of youth teams and stuff like that. But, you know, I hadn't really kind of engaged with the game. I played the game for so, so long. But this poster kind of was advertising a tournament. And, and from that tournament, the coaching, the coaches would then select a team to, to represent Scotland at this kind of international tournament, the Homeless World Cup. Um and, and I was kind of looking forward to it and stuff like that. But on the day of it, you know, I can even, like, in terms of where I was at, in terms of my confidence and stuff like that, um, you know, I locked my room. I locked myself in the room and, and didn't want to, you know, because the staff were kind of taking a minibus down, see, because we had a team from the hostel. Yeah. And I refused to go. And then I just kind of was almost kind of forced to kind of go down. And it was just because, you know, where my head was at at that time, you know, um, Good things never happened to me, so why why would I put myself through the yeah being let down by not getting in the team? So I kind of gave up straight away. But thankfully, I was encouraged to go down, and I met Ali Dawson, who was ex Rangers captain, who was kind of coaching the team, um, and, and built a good relationship up with him, and he kind of put me in the team. And so for the next three months, I had something to look forward to. You know, I had a bit of structure, I had a bit of purpose. Um, and, you know, for sport, sometimes we can take for granted, you know, it's just like, that, that's what we do, we play sport yeah. all the time. But at the time, for me, it was a real kind of lifeline, you know, it was something to focus on, because I used to wake up having nowhere to be, nothing to do, no purpose, no goals. But suddenly, here I had kind of two football sessions every week on a Tuesday and a Thursday that I could kind of look forward to. But also, when you're living in kind of, when you're in kind of homelessness and hostels and stuff like that, it's really easy to be, become sidetracked with things that take your mind off it, you know, whether it be drinking or taking drugs or, or whatever, you know. There's a lot of kind of negative influence around you, and that's just because, yeah. you know, everyone, like, you know, it's such a, in such a poor kind of place, you know, in terms of, you know, they just want to, people just want to kind of switch off and, you know, forget what's going on, and that was my, that's, that's how I cope for a big chunk of it, you know, kind of drink every night. But having this football gave me something to look forward to, you know, because it was like, you know, you didn't want to be drinking the night before a game because you knew you wanted to kind of impress the coaches and, and repay a bit of faith. And so that that allowed me to kind of get a wee bit of structure in my life, you know, and kind of remember kind of staying in on Monday nights and just saying to people, look, just ignore, ignore my door because we're all kind of living in the same building. Yeah. And I say, look, I'm all the more in. People respected that. And, and then... What that allowed me to do is kind of find a bit of kind of structure and um, I just started to become healthier, you know, not just by playing football, but also, you know, mentally, you know, I just felt in a better place. And that kind of, that three-month period in the build-up to the World Cup really stabilised me in terms of where my life was at. You know, it was pretty chaotic, you know, yeah. kind of living with my risk. Uh, so that gave me a wee bit of stability. And then, obviously, having the experience of going abroad and, you know, playing in an international tournament in front of a couple of thousand people, you know, it was just a real kind of confidence booster. Where was the tournament again? Was it in France? Uh, it was in Gothenburg. Gothenburg, in right, okay. Yeah, so we won in France. France was the 2011 World Cup when Scotland won. Right, that's what uh, it is. Scotland won it twice in 2007 in Copenhagen and then in 2011 in Paris. But when I was there, it was in, in um, Gothenburg, you know, and it was just a, a total eye-opener. Yeah. 
was a big big thing for me was kind of just meeting so many people from different parts of the world for the first time, you know, and I was just kind of young guy for Govan, never really knew anything about the world, you know, but but also to, to, to kind of share experiences with people who were kind of going through similar battles and similar challenges, yeah. but in a different place. Um, that was a real eye-opener and kind of friendships were made there that I kind of still have today. Um, so, yeah, so so again, that was, that's how kind of football started for me. And that's obviously, you can see where the motivation for street soccer came from. And, and, and obviously after coming back for the World Cup, I was at a kind of crossroads because... All the training had stopped, you know, so it was like it was just a kind of one-off event. So the training had stopped, and so I was kind of stuck there again, where I was, you know, I had this structure, I had these kind of ambitions and goals and stuff like that, and I'd kind of achieved that. So it was a case of what, what was next, and thankfully I got involved in volunteering. I started coaching kids football, uh, and again, you know, as much as it was taking the learn, and you know, it's, it's good for your CV. It, it helped me kind of maintain yeah. that structure. I needed in my life, you know, that Monday, Wednesday, Friday, um, you know, matches on a Sunday. It, it, again, it kind of, it gave me that platform and that structure to kind of maintain kind of coming out of, you know, some of the trauma and some of the challenges that I'd faced. It allowed me to focus on something. Yeah. And then, because I'd, I'd got my house quite soon after that and uh, moved out of homelessness and I got my own house and stuff like that. But if I'd just moved into my own house and I never had, all the other stuff outside of that, then it would have been a big challenge for me just because you're, you know, what do you do when you're just sitting alone in the house? And yeah. so thankfully, you know, I had relationships on the outside, I had structure, all that kind of stuff, I had purpose. And then, you know, the experience of doing all that then led me back into education, employment, and all my kind of life experience. And then my employment from kind of 2005 up to 2009 was either working as a support worker, you know, working in homelessness, you know, youth work, football coaching. So it was all yeah. the stuff that in, can embody street soccer today was all the stuff that I was learning back at the time, you know, and it's easy to, to it's easy to see what kind of things like homelessness looks like, but actually to understand what it feels like and where some of the, the gaps are for people in terms of that, you know, just living your life. That's, that's, that's what made it a wee bit special. Is it something that you can't explain what it feels like unless you have actually experienced it? It's, I mean, for, for, from the outside, you can see, well, well sometimes you, you don't see it, but, you know, because of the stigma around homelessness and the way some people portray it, even if it's like adverts and stuff like that, it's always an older guy sitting down on the street and stuff like that. But yeah. That's not a representation of homelessness. You know, homelessness is, you know, young mothers, it's, it's young guys and girls, you know, coming through the, you know, break breakups in the household and stuff like that. You know, homeless takes, you know, many shapes and forms. It's, you know, it's not just, you know, people on the street and stuff like that. There's, there's 35,000 people registering homeless every year in Scotland, you know, and it's, but, you know, what does it feel like? It's, it's like having, not being able to plan anything, you know, and, it, and I suppose, COVID and lockdowns probably gave some people a, a small taste of what life's like for people maybe affected by homelessness or just generally living in severe poverty, whereas, you know, a lot of the players we support, you know, are, are kind of disconnected from a lot of things that, yeah. you know, people take for granted. So when, when you see it, look at the lockdown situation, right, okay, so you, the restaurants and bars are closed, 
well, they were closed for, for, for many people before yeah. lockdown. You can't see your friends and family. For some people, that's life as well, you know, financial insecurity. And, and I think, you know, it, it was always one of the things that's like, you only kind of, you were planning by the hour in the day, as opposed to saying, right, in two years' time, I want to be a qualified this, or, yep. you know, in six months' time, I want to go on holiday. It was just, it was just a really kind of strange experience. And as I say, I'm lucky today that, you know, I've got my own house and, you know, I've got a job and I've gratitude for all of that, you know, but I can remember what it was like, you know, on the other side, you know, and it, and it was tough. It sounds like when the opportunity came along, uh, and, and first of all, like, I can't even imagine what it would be like to so rapidly find yourself in that situation, but being involved in the, the, the World Cup, it seemed to help you come out of that almost as quickly as, as you got into it. Was it as rapid a, a turnaround as that, or was it a bit more gradual? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's one of the things, you're kind of living in the moment, so you don't really, it's kind of, you kind of do it, you know, yeah. and it goes forward. And I think, you know, it was a combination of factors that kind of helped me, you know, so it was the World Cup, and it was also the people in and around, you know, my coach, Ali, my support worker at the Young Persons Project, you know, Alice. I was starting to surround myself with really good role models and, um, you know, mentors and stuff yeah. like that, which allowed me to kind of that personal growth. And and as I say, from one going from one extreme to another, to kind of, you know, five years later, we're kind of set up an organisation. It, it goes so quick, you know, and, and I think it, it's one of the ones you just kind of, when, when I think about, like, the, the in-between street soccer and kind of, you know, playing at the World Cup, I think I just had that desire and hunger to achieve or yeah. to do better or to do more because I'd kind of, I've been given an opportunity, you know, to volunteer, you know, to work, to, to be educated, and I, and I felt a lot of gratitude for that. And I just kind of threw my full, full self into it all and just worked really hard and, constantly try to learn and, and try to kind of give back do you know what I mean and, and I, I still have that I still do that today when you came back from the, the World Cup I guess it would have been easy to to accept that that structure on that sort of one-off tournament wasn't going to be there anymore it sounded is it fair to say that you refused to accept that and you kind of went looking for a more permanent uh, replication of that kind of structure and, and something that could help recreate that feeling? Yeah, I mean, I think when I came back, there was a huge gap, you know, because I had, as I say, I had that goal, had that kind of structure. And it was actually Alice, who was my support worker at the time, who, who, who I think she recognised that, you know, all that good work could come undone unless I kind of continued to do something, you know. And then I knew myself that, you know, I'd... I'd, I was at, I was at, I was at the stage where I, I wanted to kind of accept anything that came to me yeah. as long as it was positive. You know, I'd stabilised how I lived my life. You know, and um, I had ambition. You know, I had, I had hunger, which I didn't have for years because you know it's hard to be ambitious yeah. when you you know you're going to stay that night. Um, so yeah, so again, having good people around me, you know, to kind of mentor me. And, and sometimes kicking up the backside because I was I was hard work as well, um, so that 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 was a key, you know, just having those right people. And 
I think that's sometimes that's what you need. You know, it's surround yourself with the right people. You yeah. know, and, and I think um, I, I always say to players, you know, you know, you are who you hang around with. You know, like, so you just need to when you're trying to grow, you need to make sure that, especially when you're coming from my situation, I had to cut myself off from a lot of things, people, relationships that I built. Yeah. When I was homeless, but and it, and it wasn't nothing against that particular person. It's just that I knew that it was a, I put myself at risk if I put myself in these situations. You know, so I had to kind of they call it old haunts. You know, when you're trying to where it's where you're trying to kind of change things. You know, I had to kind of make sure that the surroundings that I was choosing, you know, were healthy for me. Yep. And that was guys like Ali Dawson, and you know, because they, they they wanted the best for you, and they were. Again, good mentors and, and good advice and role models. Did, did you ever feel like the... And I don't want to spend... Uh, it's a massive part of your story, but I think there's so much great stuff to talk about. That, and I know you've talked about um, the origins of your story so so much, but did you feel like... Did, did you ever think you were going to get an opportunity like that? Did it feel hopeless at times? Did Were you just sort of... Were you almost yeah. just like surviving day to day and not really thinking about more than that? Totally. I mean, you, you were existing. I was existing, you know, in, in loads of dark days, you know, you know, sitting kind of totally broken, you know, and, but again, you know, Muskie, the, the, the young person's project that I lived in at the time, a lot of credit because they took me from a very dangerous environment to yeah. a, lot, a much safer environment and secure, you know, and um, I still try and help that charity out as much as I can today, you know, and it was just, I was, I was lucky that I met the right people at the right time. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, life's like that. You know, what if I never got in the team? You know, what if I, the, the guy never encouraged me to get into the trials, you know? Yep. Um, so there's loads of wee kind of things that happen. And it's just that way. Sometimes you just need to, you know, I, I went through enough pain to, to probably deserve a wee bit of fortune. <laughs> the end, you know? Yeah, completely. But again... I combined that with a bit of hard work, you know, yeah. and just in, in in continual gratitude, you know, for the small things. I mean, there's one thing that, you know, everyone's probably feeling the news and it doesn't, see, and it's hard to f- seem like that, you know, but I've been taking loads of gratitude for about during lockdown, you know, and, and, and discovering things that I never noticed before and just yep. the moment to reflect on, you know, you know, kind of gratefulness and for, for some of the things that you've got. As opposed to what you've not got. Starting the Cumbria for anyone could be quite daunting, and especially if you get sort of grand plans for it. So, how did you actually make the leap and just and just go for it? What, what was what was the process behind setting it up? Yeah. So so basically, I was working at the time. So I was working full time with, with a big issue yeah. foundation, um, and I was also working. Almost full time, but I think I was doing maybe 16, 20 hours a week at night as well. I was working for Glasgow Community Safety Services, so the City Council Youth Services. So I was I was probably doing about 60 hours a week, you know, kind of working. And because I loved it, I loved what I did. Yeah. I was passionate. It wasn't about the money, it was just because I, I love being out working with young guys and, you know, in, in, the, in the streets and stuff like that. And, um, and then, you know, after having conversations with Mel from the Homeless World Cup and et cetera, and Andy. I just thought, you know, 
it'd be good to kind of give something back and, and use some of my experience. Because I was going to move away, I was going to move to Australia and work. Right. But I decided, I decided to um, stay here and I applied for a grant. So um, there was a kind of social enterprise startup kind of fund. So I got like £3,000 startup funding, which allowed me to kind of set up the, the entity as such and pay for yeah. the kind of fees around that. Bought a second-hand laptop and bag of balls, shared the end of somebody's desk. And then my friend was a graphic designer. She designed a logo and some posters for me. And I just started kind of getting into every service in Glasgow and Edinburgh, talking around... Almost, I was almost kind of selling my own story to the staff. Yeah. You know, this is what football done for me and I want to do it for other people. So that, that was almost like my own kind of sports marketing tool when I was trying to kind of start it. Um, and, you know, being able to kind of connect with players and people and people knew me, you know, because I'd kind of been around and I just started a wee bit of a following in terms of players, you know, people coming down and that started to grow and uh, and then here we are, kind of approaching 12 years. It's incredible. Uh, yeah, and, and, and as I say, it's, it's always, the, the journey of street soccer has always been defined by the players, you know, in terms of, so sometimes people say, oh, so what was your strategy behind doing this and doing that? And it's just the players wanted it or the players needed it. Yeah. I mean, so we, we've, we've got kind of, we kind of very much value, I know it's kind of sounds a bit wanky in terms of values led, but we, we are truly kind of, you know, values driven in terms of what we do. Our values were kind of designed by all our team, you know, and our, our core value is player first. Yep. You know, so if we get a difficult decision to make, then it all comes back down to the players. You know, what's best for street soccer players? Are we yep. taking a player first approach? Um, but again, you know, it's just that way, like, even back in the day, so like when I was first starting out, you know, it was only me and, and the sessions were getting busier and busier. There was loads of people kind of coming down so I, and I couldn't manage. So I decided to kind of, this was in Edinburgh at the time, and I was like, right, okay, I need to kind of, you know, I need a hand with this. So I was working in partnership with a local college and I picked out, you know, five or six guys from the session who all had various kind of skills. So one was kind of really good at football, you know, one was super keen, you know, and, and, and they came on and started doing volunteering. So I was still working part-time with the Big Issue at the time. So they'd volunteer with me on a Wednesday there, delivering like Big Issue papers to all the kind of vendors on the street yeah. and all that. So that was the kind of giving back element that I was trying to kind of instill into, into the guys. And then they were doing a college course with a local college. So that was kind of upskilling them on computers and admin and teaching them skills. And then I'd put them through their coaching badges and then they then became the coaches, so they started delivering the sessions for us. And I started kind of building kind of partnerships with funders yeah. and sponsors and stuff like that. Um, but, and again, but that that kind of what I did with those guys in the kind of early days then became our personal development pathway. Yep, it's the foundation, isn't it? Yeah, so we started to doing like twelve week courses, all based around what we were doing there. And that, and we then sold that into other charities. So charities were paying us to kind of deliver these kind of programs and stuff like that. And that allowed us to generate income to take on another member of staff who yeah. who happened to be Ali Dawson, who was my coach back then. So he joined us as our kind of head coach at the time. And then, you know, 
just working hard. And the, the Commonwealth Games came to Glasgow in 2014. We were a legacy partner of that, so we yep. got some investment from that, allowed us to invest into Dundee and Aberdeen and so on and, and kind of build the team that way. But it's just been, yeah, it's just... You just keep doing it, don't you? Hundred <laughs> percent. I can't believe it's been twelve years. I, I, I just came across it. We've just moved office. We've got a new office and head head office in Edinburgh now. And I was clearing through the old one, and I found our first ever DVD from like, our first ever event in two thousand nine. Wow. I've not played it yet. I'm kind of scared to, but I'll, I'll probably put it on at some point. But um, can't believe it's been twelve years. And that's the thing: the the fact that you've even got a DVD. And it wasn't that long ago, but but life has moved on so much that you were doing all of this even without social media, really. I mean, it's not like today with Instagram and Facebook and just the, the, the ease of what you can connect with people. It, it sounded like it was literally you selling yourself to as many different people as you possible, possibly could face-to-face, not even through any social media benefit. Yeah, and, and I wish it was still like that, to be fair. To really? I, I'm, I'm like, I get the value of social media, but you know, I've just not get the energy for it. Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? I mean, I, I've, I think I've tweeted once this year. Do you know what I mean? I'm just like. And that was replying to me. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm talking? About? It's just like I, I use kind of LinkedIn a wee bit, maybe once a fortnight, maybe. Yeah. And then Instagram, I'll kind of put post pictures up of yeah. normally nice views around the city because I've just been walking about for the last year in lockdown. But um, sometimes social media is a wee bit a thing that I've... It's not a bugbear, it's just that I struggle with it. Yeah. And I think it's just because... I think it's... For me, as somebody who runs an organisation, you know, I kind of... I feel pressured to be on it. Do you know what I mean? Because if yeah. like, cause your funders look at it and all that, you don't yep. want them thinking... Well, I must not be. It must be just sitting there, nothing. If he's not tweeting about it, yeah. But it's 100%. the opposite. I'm busy running about doing everything else. The last thing I've got to see is like, okay, what can I say on Twitter today? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Just, but I realise the value. And to be to be fair, you know, we've got a good team who can take care of that anyway. So, but it's just been when it comes down to asking me to do it, I'm like, hate it. <laughs> no, and it can you know, become a, it can become all encompassing, so can't it? Yeah, I feel sorry because I think it, you know, adds a lot of pressure for young people in it. When we, you see a lot of kind of young people's mental health. We just public, we just had an article published on, you know, mental health the other day. But you know, it must be really tough for yeah for, for, for young kids growing up. You know, because it, when we grew up, it was like, there's only people running about you who you aspire to be, and they were all largely kind of you were able to kind of get to that level. Whereas yeah, now kids, are, kids have got, you know, so many kind of influencers and black who they're aspiring to be. And it's and it's 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 very hard to manage that because as you know, most of it's fake. Yep. And then at the other time, kids are now, you know, you would only ever be judged by your close friends and the people who or you would only care what your close friends or people that were your family thought about you. Now people have got the whole world, they're worried about what the world thinks of them, even though yeah. It doesn't that it doesn't matter that much, but but that's the psyche. It's just there's an anxiety about people, how people think about you. And that's uh, the thing. Yeah. Even if you only have, if you're a if you're a youngster and you only have maybe 10, 20, 30 people who you've connected with, if they're all saying negative stuff, that is your that does feel like the entire world. If every time you open your phone, whether it's yeah. Instagram or 
Snapchat or whatever the platform might be, if your world is only saying bad stuff, that's really yeah. difficult for young people to to navigate. Yeah, and that's why I, I've kind of pulled away from Twitter a wee bit because it's just a wee bit. It is a bit negative, isn't it? it yeah. it's, it's almost like you know, but there's some great stuff on it. And I, I kind of I follow some good organisations doing great things. And I love all that stuff, but there's just so much kind of. It's almost you know the only way to be popular is to attack people. Yeah, that's you definitely know, gone downhill for that. sure. Yeah, you know, in terms of whether it's footballers or politicians, you know, it's like people gain pop popularity by attacking other people. You know, and that's and regardless if that person should be attacked or not. Yeah. Well, you know, what I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just sad. Do you know what I mean? It's not, it's not, it's not, a, it's not a place you would want to live. So that's why I don't spend that much time. Yeah. On it. Not quite right. In terms of the place that you do spend, um, football clearly had a massive impact on you and and that kind of sliding doors moment, um, getting involved in the tournament. How would you assess the impact that you've had and the organisation has had on, and you can tell me how many how many people over the last 12 years have you actually had a tangible impact on, do you think? I'm trying to say the number. I know it's last time we actually rounded the number up was probably a few years ago, which was like 10,000. Do you yeah. know what I mean? But, you know... I've never been a kind of numbers, you know, I just kind of, how do I know if it had an impact, you know, I'm lucky that we've got a lot of, a lot of your staff are former street soccer players. Right, okay. You know, so guys and, and lassies who have come through the programme, you know, they started off as a player, whether it be kind of coming from a, you know, kind of out of rehab or, you know, coming from a, you know, a place where they were at a stage where they wanted to grow and they've come into the programme and they've been a player, they've volunteered and now, you know, in some cases we've we've got guys that's worked for us for ten years. You know, who who were players at the start, and they're still here. Yeah, they've got housey, they've got families, they're married, they've got cars, and 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 I suppose where I'm going with that is to see them now help other people. Yep, that's you know it's not about what I've done; it's about what they've done. So to, to see somebody who's went on a journey with, you know got what they needed from street soccer and then turned that around to, to give it back that for me I mean even in London you know we've set up in London beginning of January you know the manager or London manager is a former street soccer player yeah you know played at the World Cup in 2016 worked for a kind of homeless charity in, in down south and now he's leading the charts down there so I think we things like that know that you, you've kind of had a wee bit of an impact and you know I've had, I've had as much for street soccer than the players have as well, you know, in terms yeah. of it's, it's saved me. It gave me purpose, you know, and and I suppose that's the way it should be. You should always kind of give and receive. And, and I, it, for me, it's I've created a family here, you know, and the people around me and stuff like that. And um, it's anything street soccer's done is not just, you know, okay, I'm the founder, but anything it's achieved is... There's been a lot of people that's made that happen, you know, who don't you don't see, you don't see on the podcast and all that, you know. Yep. You know, our, our board and sponsors and supporters and volunteers and all that. It's, it's a big team effort, but I think you know when you see, I mean, you can walk around, I walk around Edinburgh and Glasgow and stuff like that, and you'll see people from other charities who have you know 
guys and lasses who are maybe working in the sector now who've come through the programme. And we've not been the sole, you know, reason for that. It's the person, yeah. the individuals kind of created that change. But to be a part of that person's journey, you know, and to see them coming back, like, you know, when we're doing tournaments and stuff, they'll be coming back, bringing a team on behalf of their own organisation. Yeah. You know, and even the young, the, the young person's project, which I grew up in, or when I was homeless, you know, I've, I think there's something like three former, three former street soccer players who work there now. That's amazing. You know I mean? so these wee things, you know, and I, I mean, I, I try and, I'm just thankful that I've got a really good team and, yeah. you know, and I get, you know, even the other day, if I'm out and I bump into a street soccer player and I have a chat, I love all that stuff, do you know what I mean? Because I see they're doing all right. Was it inevitable that you were going to do something like that as opposed to, I mean, you could clearly easily have just settled for a standard nine to five job, which, you know, once you'd come back from the World Cup and stuff, this clearly is not a standard nine to five job. Did, yeah. with, with your drive and your, you know, your, uh, I guess your appetite to make the most of it, was it kind of inevitable that you were going to give something back? I don't know. I think I just found what I was good at. You know, I, you know, I kind of, for a young age, I'd kind of experienced hard times. Yeah. So I, I know that felt like. So, you know, I could, when I, when I met somebody, I could understand them, you know, because it's like you end up developing like almost like an emotional intelligence about, yeah. you know, what's going on. And, and, I, and I could suss that. And I suppose, you know, in order to get the most out of somebody, it's about building trust, you know, and, and I think one of the successes of, what we've done is, you know, we've been able to kind of, the players who come in for the first time realise that there's lived experience running through the organisation yeah. so they know where you're coming from. So you can build that kind of trust. Um, I, I mean, I like creative stuff and all that and there's loads of stuff, you know, I, I'd kind of love to do. But I think, you know, sometimes like your journey's laid out for you. Yeah. You know, if it wasn't for the three years of pain, you know, that I'd suffered, then street soccer wouldn't be here. Yeah, you know, and I think sometimes, you know, the the universe takes over, and you're just kind of given a path, and the people you meet along the way. I mean, you know, I met I met you through street soccer, uh, speaking at a, an event in in, in Qatar. You yeah, know, and you just kind of you just roll with it, and I'm, I'm happy that I've got a job that I love. You know, doesn't feel like a job. It's hard work. You know, it's yeah, loads of pressure. Um, but at the same time, you know, a I've got a job. And B, you know, I've, I've done some jobs that I just didn't like, yeah. you know, and, and I got no satisfaction. And although the hours are long here, hence I, hence I kind of woke up from a nap before doing this. Um, it's, I feel blessed to kind of do what I do, you know, and yeah, I've met some amazing people and shared amazing experiences with players and stuff like that, whether it be at World Cups and different events and stuff like that. It's just amazing. But again, it's like anything there's sacrifice in it because 100% anything worth doing is that you're going to have to sacrifice stuff aren't you yeah so I've probably missed out on other stuff that I'll probably need to catch up on but that's fine I'm kind of on a mission and you talked about the values of the organisation early on which seemed to really underpin what it was did you have an idea of what that mission would be or what your sort of your goal for <laughs> or were you just going with it to see how far it would go just going with it, just really passionate about kind of making a difference and trying yeah. to do the right thing, you know, and I think 
the whole values thing, we've always had it. You know, we've always had kind of strong values in terms of who we are and what we do. And we yep. kind of, we never kind of deviate off that. But it wasn't until about maybe two or three years ago when we actually, you know, made our values official and we got an organisation to come in and, you know, work with myself and yep. players and, and uh, staff to under, under see, to actually put the values down in paper. But we never said, oh, this is how we want to be. It was just how we already were. And it was about bringing out how, how we already were into a document so people can use it as a guide. You know, so when it comes to doing, if you're doing appraisals with staff, yep. we're not doing it, we're not asking them. The first thing we ask is, you know, look at looking back over this last six months, where have you shown values in action? You know, so actually, yep. so, so your team are starting to say, right, you know, wherever, so they can see their work and see where it links to their values so they're actually living it. Uh, and I think that's important, you know, in, in culture as well, you know. Yep. We, we've grown quite a lot in the, in the past couple of years, obviously, we kind of London and we're opening a centre in Dundee and stuff like that. Um, and, and sometimes the bigger you become, you can lose that, that kind of culture and values, but we've managed to so far maintain that culture and, and values where people feel like it's a family, they feel like uh, we've got a kind of, we're all on the same mission and stuff like that. Yep. And our kind of last kind of um, uh, staff kind of engagement survey brought back 100% kind of happy with culture, you know, so 100% of staff are amazing. Totally culture, which for me is, is amazing, you know, because that's, you just want a place where people want to be. Yeah. They want to because if, if that's if if you get that, then you know they're going to go out and perform in whatever role they are. When you, you said that the worry about getting too big, do you think that 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 worry should exist for an, an organisation like yourself when it's such a widespread issue to try and get on top of that? Could you become too big? Is there ever enough that could be done, and or is it about yeah. scaling up properly to try and be as as impactful as you could be? Yeah, I mean, the stage we're at just now, we're, you know, we're, we're not big, big, you know, we're bigger than we were, Yeah, we're still relatively small compared to some of the kind of big, big charities. But there's probably a stage where, you know, you can become, in terms of what we are doing, you know, there's only so far you can go in terms of when you lose quality or you, you know what I mean, you don't want, yeah. so you can go big in terms of other areas, you know, so, so like, we're in London now, so you could say, right, okay, let's look at Manchester or Newcastle. Yeah. You could keep doing that, but I suppose the most important thing is when you're doing that is to make sure that the leadership is there. Because what you don't want is somebody sitting in Glasgow or Edinburgh kind of try to design programmes that suit Newcastle or Manchester because everything should be local. You know, you yeah. need, first thing we did in, in London was identify you know, good kind of local practitioners and or guys who really kind of knew understood the culture and the um and what was going on there because that's how you kind of in, engage with the guys that you're working with. And you also but, don't. Oh, sorry. On you go. On you go. I was going to say you also don't just want to be good on paper. There's no point sticking your no. brand in different cities if you're not actually delivering anything of quality. Yeah, as long as, the key thing is not to dilute what you're doing. Yeah. You know, and I think it was always easier when it was just yourself. 
Yeah. <laughs> you didn't have to, you know, you don't worry about other things. You're just like, whatever you do, you're in control of. And as you grow, it becomes harder. But at the same time, that's just a selfish thing because it becomes harder for me. But yeah. But at the same time, the more people you've got out delivering, the more lives you can change and the more you can do as well. So, as I say, we're at that wee stage now where we've kind of took a wee jump up. So it's just about stabilising that and then yeah. saying, right, if we're going to... For me, it's more around. It's not about... If we're going to grow, it's about growing, going deeper, seeing to it rather than going wider. Yep. As I'm saying, right, what is it we're working on just now? How can we go a bit deeper? with players in terms of support or you know opportunities yep and I think that's and then obviously looking at other cities across Europe and stuff was there one particular moment where you realised this is going in the right direction or this is having more of an impact that we could ever have really have thought no really not to no. be honest I'm, always, I'm like I'm I was always thinking the next I'm always you know you'd always try to think in the next year Um. Because the first, the first kind of seven years, you know, is they say it takes between five and seven years for a business to be, or not business, but an organisation to yeah. become, become sustainable. So after hearing that, I'm always, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the year clock, that thing, right, okay, when are we going to get, you know, when are we going <laughs> to be up? But um, I think it's just, it's like, you know, you just keep doing it. You know, you get wee moments where you're reminded of the impact you've had or, you know, you know, you're doing something right or whatever. But, you know, for me, it's always like, if I do something, I always try and say, right, okay, right. It's probably a negative thing from my perspective, but I always try and say, right, how can it be better? Yeah. You know, so you never rest, you know, that was good. So if it's good, how can it be better? You know, and, and, and it's always about that. And sometimes things can't be better, literally. Do you know what I mean? But you know, how can you do it slightly different? How can it how can it have more value for the players? How can it, you know, it's always about, you know, having those high expectations. Because we've always kind of punched above our weight. Yeah. Um, and I just don't think there's if you're not going to do things like the best you can, then there's no point in doing it. You know, and I think when you say you've punched above your weight, do you do you feel now? You know the the circles that you are known in for, and the recognition that you, that you that you do get. Do people now expect that? Do people expect this is what you guys deliver? This is what street soccer is all about. Um, kinda, but I think you know when I say punch above my weight, it's, we've, we've always been a relatively small charity, but yeah. we've managed to kind of like you know. So during lockdown, for example, you know, we we had to cancel our gala dinner, you know, and in the space of three weeks from having an idea to kind of deliver it, we delivered this kind of online, and it was one, one of the first charities to do it in the UK. Yeah. We actually got a it at home, uh, raised 75 grand, you know, had a massive lineup, with kind of guests wow. and stuff like that. And that, again, we're, we're relatively small, small yeah. charity. But things like that, you know, doing bit magic, like being able to kind of attract, you know, ambassadors like Andy Robertson and yep. you know Alex Ferguson and stuff like that but you, and, and even like a lot of people think we're a lot bigger than what we are, what we are because the recognition sometimes we get or because we've got so many programs going on yep. but we're just, just a wee team of hard workers you know every, every one of them is just everybody works really hard and tries to kind of do the right thing and 
you know, make a difference. It may sound weird, but does that go against you in any way? If people think you're bigger than you are, companies or sponsors or whatever it might be might think they don't need it. They don't need our help because they're doing really well anyway. Uh, well, I hope, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can, you can set, set the record straight. So, I mean, maybe. And I mean, kind of, it's one of these ones. So, it's depending on the brand you're working with, you know. Yeah. So if it's a PepsiCo or a, you know, Coca Cola or these types of kind of large brands, you know, doesn't really matter to them actually. If you're a if you're a bigger chatty, that's kind of sadly that's, you know, that's better. Yeah. Whereas you know. Uh, if it's commercial stuff, doesn't they kind of commercial partnerships generally look for you know more recognised, you know charities and stuff like yeah. that because you know there's a there's, it's kind of brand alignment stuff. Funding funders wise, yeah, if they think you know they don't need to because look they're doing all this and this and this yeah. and this and that. But to do all this and this and this, and that, you need you need investment. You need to yeah, do it. But exactly. we've generated a lot of our own, a lot of the stuff that we we've done in the past. We've generated the income ourselves through events and retail and and, and whatever. Do you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, yeah, it's just it'll be interesting in a few years. Just speaking, obviously not being able to do certain events and stuff because we we rely on kind of um, like kind of business events and corporate dinners and stuff like that. Yeah. We all kind of can just now, so we're kind of trying. So we're ramping up our retail stuff, um, and then looking at additional things to kind of kind of plug the gaps for the income generation. How difficult has the COVID situation been for you guys, from a from a operational point of view, but also seeing the impact that's maybe having on pe- people mentally right now? Yeah, so so starting off, you know, two thousand nine. We set up an organisation to connect people. 2000, 2020, you can't do that anymore. Yeah. So, so that was, I mean, the restrictions of COVID on me personally, I'm, I can deal with. You know, yep. As I say, I've kind of experienced crisis and blah, blah. But the hardest part is, you know, the organisation that you help create and, yep. you know, suddenly not being able to do what it was supposed to do, you know, which is to connect people who were yep. isolated and cut off. Um, so that's been really tough and as I say the team's been amazing in terms of you know being really flexible in terms of how we still provide support during these times yep um, and back in March last year you know it was like we were, we were delivering kind of food all across Edinburgh Glasgow and so on working household items we're doing kind of handing out smartphones and data faxes so we could get players connected on Zoom um, so just doing doing everything we can to provide that additional support um and just now we're currently still in a, in a almost lockdown situation where so there's no sport yeah um, you can't meet up in groups just now so it's like you can only meet one person so that's been really challenging not just for the players of course for the players but the staff as well you know a lot yeah. of these guys glasses are kind of you know they're so passionate about spending time with the players and they can't do it so it's, it's really hard and we kind of need to spend time with them but hopefully you know and uh, next announcements come up, you know, we can maybe start. Yeah. You know, right now I'd rip your rip your arm off for non-contact sport. Do you know what I mean? Just to kind of get the, get the players back out, and it's just it's just getting it's, it's having a community around you, you know, having yeah. people and just doing things as a group. 
you can't you can't really replicate. I mean, Zoom's been a godsend in, in many ways, you know, but at the same time, it's not the same. You know, it's um, that's definitely not. And as an organisation, you know, we've just kind of had to always kind of totally keep an eye on what's happening and trying to do our best for the players and support the staff in terms of delivering some of the, the new projects and new things that we're doing. Um, and as I say, long term, you've just kind of created a, a sustainability plan to, to allow us to ride the wave of any potential yeah. lost income. It's probably worth explaining actually for anyone that isn't completely familiar with the, you know, the details of how you guys bring players together. Can you just explain um, how often and, and how the yeah. how the organisation actually works for your players? Yeah. So basically, so in, I'll use Scotland as an example. So in Scotland, yeah. we've got programmes running across Glasgow, Edinburgh, Dundee, Aberdeen, and Greenock. Uh, and our adult programme, so we've got an adult and a youth programme. So the adult programme is basically a series of drop-in sessions across various locations where players can kind of just turn up, sign in, you know, meet the coaches, get do some training drills, get a game of football, and then, you know, access any additional support that they need on the day if they want a yeah. kind of one-to-one, a chat and stuff like that. So it's very informal, fun, you know, it's all about, you know, physical activity, exercising, you know, peer-to-peer support. And then there's the personal development side in terms of running kind of educational programmes and courses. Um, there's additional support around mental health available. Um, there's a lot of kind of partner support as well in terms of we've got an employability partnership. So if someone's looking at kind of taking the steps into work, yep. we've got an employability coach there. Um, we've got a women's programme as well. So kind of women's only programme. Um where we combine football, Zumba, you know, box exercise, just loads yep. of physical fitness activity. So they're happening across kind of Scotland. We've got a youth programme kind of working in a kind of Friday nights type thing, working with young people. Um, we do some off-site school stuff as well. So kid, kids who are maybe not engaged in school, we'll deliver a kind of off-site education programme. Um, and then obviously we've got the Homeless World Cup. Yep. which is once a year, so we, we'll send a team to that as well. So that's a kind of general activity, you know, but again, the key thing about it is it's, you know, having that structure, having that place to be, yep. but at the same time, try to develop people and put opportunities in front of people, which will allow them to kind of grow and develop. Have you ever, I know it wouldn't be the priority, but um, has there ever been any sort of a pathway for some of your players that, that can go on to higher levels? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, the guys, we've had guys, you know, playing at kind of decent level at junior, you know, right. and the low, low down, I think still in that, Sean played at still in Albion and stuff like that. But um, I think for us, we've got a lot of guys who, who probably, there's a lot of guys who probably could have made it at certain points, but maybe, you know, through, you know, maybe losing 10 years to addiction yeah. or, or, or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Um they can still maybe move back into kind of good good level of junior football. Yeah. But to be honest, you know, football is just a front cover for us. Yeah. You know, it's, it's that's a great way to put it, actually. Ah, it is. It's just it's it's what brings people in, you know, and it's football's a kind of universally great tool to bring people together, yeah. whether it's to play, to watch. Um we we do that, you know, and, and then from there we start to build relationships and create a support network for people. Um, and again, what comes through that is that structure, that 
belonging. You know, because we all need to be part of something. Yeah. Do you think your players know that that it's just a front cover and it's maybe, or or do they are they completely taken by surprise that it's much deeper than just actually the football? Yeah, I think I think it's a mix. You know, I think some of the younger guys that maybe get involved are purely coming from football. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, I can access this, I can access that, and then maybe some of the older guys who have heard about it through the kind of real rehabilitation centres or you know. When I say older, I'm talking about 25 plus here. <laughs> I should I should be saying younger guys. But, um, you know, you're kind of 16 to 25 sometimes, you know, it's more around the football, but then 25 plus, um, a lot of it's, they can understand what street soccer is about. Yeah. You know, it's about community, especially people who are coming from kind of recovery backgrounds as well. You know, it's more about a community you know, and finding that unity and stuff like that, and that's really important. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, there's great life lessons as well between what I like about the session is you get some of the guys with quite a lot of life experience who can then lean on the young ones yep. and kind of act as almost role models. And you get that kind of respect. So, so I like that part of it as well. You mentioned him a few minutes ago. How did the uh, relationship with Andy Robertson come about how did he become your ambassador yeah so Andy's Andy's running his so Andy's recently set up a, a his own foundation yeah AR26, uh, charity and we kind of got chatting through that and Sir Alex has been our ambassador since kind of day one kind of 2010 I think he came yeah. on board and you know we've, we've been in you know we've been discussing it you know as an organisation of it right should we try and find our next ambassador, Sir Alex, will still be there, you know, and yep. he's still in the background. But we're looking for kind of a new kind of face of the organisation ambassador. And through my conversations in supporting Andy with his own charity, um, Andy kind of loves loves the fact that football can change lives, you know, yep. and and he was happy to support it. And and Andy's got big plans for his own stuff, you know, and. They're already, even though it's very much in its infancy, the R26 Charity's already making massive difference. So, And it's great to see that, you know, it's yeah. great to see footballers <clears throat> using the, their platform and their their kind of brand as such as well, you know, and, and their kindness to, to yeah. make a difference for other people because they don't have to, you know. And, um, and, and he's very passionate about kind of making a difference for children and young people in Scotland. I mean, far be it from me to speak on your behalf or his behalf but when you see the sort of guy that he is and what he's achieved and what his pathway has been it seems like it had been difficult to hand pick a better ambassador for what you're trying to do exactly no you're, you're spot on you know because <clears throat> you look at Andy's journey you know from you know all the way through the ranks taking the European champion and Premier League champion yeah. you know, and at the, at, at the very start you know it wasn't you know, there was a chance it might not have happened, you know, yep. and just kind of the challenges at the beginning of his career, but, you know, he, he worked hard and he used his talent to kind of, you know, show that he can do it and he's a real inspiration for any young footballer, kind of, you know, to say that, you know, sometimes you might get a wee bump in the road, but yeah. look, keep your head down, keep working hard and sometimes the right thing will happen. Um, but again, he's, he's a great guy, he's captain of Scotland, um, but really, really passionate about kind of giving back and making a difference. So it's a, it's a real honour for the organisation and, you know, to follow on from Sir Alex is, is great.
What, what do you think he will uh, he'll bring and what impact he will have? I mean, it's a really, it sounds like it's a really obvious question to answer, but just uh, given who he is and, and what he's done, but what are you hoping his, his impact in the organisation will be? Well, <clears throat> kind of a number of ways, you know, obviously having that figurehead, you know, and just obviously Andy's got quite a, a large profile and he can, yeah. one, a big part of our work is kind of getting the message out there, you know, and kind of reducing stigma and all that. And yep. if Andy can do that kind of stuff, then great. Also, just as a kind of, for our players, you know, to see somebody of Andy's calibre, yep. you know, in, in success, wearing the street soccer colours, you know, it's because the street soccer is, the, is owned by the players, you know. So yep. if you're a player in Glasgow, you know, running around, you know, you get a street soccer tracksuit on and, and then you see Andy Robertson with the same tracksuit supporting yep. it. You know, there's that recognition, you know, and it's it's about creating a kind of level playing field. One of the things that COVID has done, and again, you touched on it previously, was there have been some really high-profile cases of footballers, Marcus Rashford's the obvious one, yep. using the profile yep. to actually enact some positive change. And it's been, there has been a trend of that in the last couple of years. Um, given how invested in it you've been over the years, it must be pretty refreshing to see that maybe it's always happened and maybe footballers just haven't been given the fair ride that they deserve, but it must be quite refreshing to see these guys finally be given a bit of recognition for, for the work that they do away from the game. Yeah, totally. I mean, most there's been loads of good stuff happening over the years with footballers, you know, and, and, and a lot of it goes largely unnoticed. Yeah. You know, Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, he's he's been doing good deeds with charities. And I think Cristiano was the first when, I think it was the Nepal earthquake, um, Basically, was one of the first major donors to that yeah. crisis. They saved the children. You know, just did it. You know, boom, boom, boom. Wasn't looking for anything yeah. in terms of praise for it. He just, he just did it. And and over the years, footballers have generally, you know, most 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 guys I know always try and help. You know, and sometimes they're given a wee bit of a hard time. And but to see, you know, guys like Andy, you know, Marcus, um, various others who are now saying. Using the platform for good, I think it's I think it's it's really really refreshing, um, and it also might inspire other people to do the same, you know, and um, and it and it creates good role models as well for young people. Yeah. If you're a young person, um, you know, looking up if you want if you're an aspiring pro footballer and you see the behaviour of the likes of Marcus and Andy and others, you know, that's real leadership and role models that you want for kids. Phenomenal journey for you so far, David. Where where is the future for you? What's your plans for? Hopefully, just to be allowed out of Edinburgh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think you know London's not in its kind of infancy. We're, yeah, we're just we're just taking over a, an old sports a sports centre in Dundee, so we're refurbing that and turning that into one of our kind of new change centres, so which yeah. is a new kind of model around community sports so that will open in the summer um, and then I've, I've got a couple of ideas that I'm working on behind the scenes in terms of you know try to use football for good but maybe using yep. a couple of different, different methods in doing that so I'll see how that goes and, and see see what it takes us and um, yeah that's 
just just try to keep going in it. Yep. Keep keep the keep the ball moving, you know, keep the guys happy, keep the guys engaged. Ne- the next kind of year will be critical in terms of just getting people rehabilitated back into the new norm. Yeah. You know, because there was you know, it took a while to kind of get used to kind of the lockdown, but now people are kind of used to kind of moving at a kind of slow pace and yeah. maybe not connected. I think there's a rehabilitation process to get people back into kind of Completely. normal ways. So just doing that. But uh, yeah, that's, that's it. And I know you made the point earlier, it's it's not just about you, it's about the organisation, which I think is, um, I think a lot of people appreciate you saying that. The legacy of the organisation. What would you say that is so far? What would you say has been, you know, the the standout impact that you guys have made as a team so far? We're still here. <laughs> I mean, that you know, it's so difficult to to set up an organisation or yeah. a charity and stuff like that. And it's you know that COVID's bringing a lot of you know closures and stuff like that. You know, the charity yeah. commission in England. I've uh, been spending more time closing down charities and they have setting them up which is really sad um, wow. but I think you know the biggest achievement is probably just again being able to wake up tomorrow and go and do what we do and, yep. and helping each player because it's like if you can help one um, then you know you move on to the next and it's just about kind of doing that I mean, I, I just think, you know, it's, it's we've been quite lucky. We've won awards and stuff like that. We were charity of the year in 2017 and yep. blah, blah, blah. But, you know, the fact that we're still here is, is a gift, you know. Um, and, you know, if we can come out of lockdown and really, really push it and really get players back involved and, you know, do even more, then that'll be the, that'll be the main goal. Yeah. You know, and yeah, that is, that's what the achievement's all about. Well, hopefully that happens sooner rather than later. Um, and thank you so much for, for joining me in the Legacy Pod, David. It's been a pleasure. No, it's great and uh, look forward to catching up soon. Away.